the movie Home Alone is about, it's about a family. And it's about the chaos and brokenness that occurs in the family uh, just kind of naturally that, that occurs in the family within the smallest social unit available in the marriage. But, but, but the point I want to make is God wants to teach us to operate in these social units, family, church, work, community, neighborhood. God is very invested in these social units and the Bible has, see, the Bible has a lot to say about loving strangers. That's true. The world at large. God had, God had gave some Israel some very clear direction about loving the strangers and loving the immigrants. And there's a beautiful story of Ruth, the, Mo, the Moabite, being cared for by Boaz, the Israelite. And there's, there's of course, that iconic story of the Good Samaritan. However, however, the Bible has actually more to say about loving those in our closest inner circle. The Bible has more to say about those who are bound together by blood, by covenant, by purpose, and by physical proximity. There's a call to love those we love as well as those we barely know. Do you love those that you love? Do you care about those that you're committed to? In fact, let me give you four or five verses that make this point very clear. John chapter 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 17, verse 20, I pray also that those who believe in me through their message, all of them may be one, so that they may be brought together in complete unity, to complete unity. Then there's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul writes, Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should be do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Then there's Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Titus chapter 2, verse 4, Older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Then there's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith, such people are worse than unbelievers. Now, there's, there's some very interesting and uh, complicated reasons that God wants us to love the people that we love and love the people that we know the best and love the people that we're closest to and love the people within our family, within our church, within our neighborhood, within our workplace. There's, there's really good reasons. Maybe another time we'll, we'll take the time to explain those reasons, but if you'll think a minute... I think you'll kind of understand it. But I, I will, I'll give you this one. It's not in my notes, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning. Uh, the, the mission is to include more and more people in your inner circle. The Bible says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So the goal of Christian faith and the goal of following Christ is to include more and more people in your inner circle. And if you are unkind, irreverent, rude, uh, competitive to the people in your inner circle you're just inviting the people out there into your chaos and into your abuse so the way we prepare to reach the people out there the people outside of our circle is by being good with the people in our circle Amen. you know 
we, we, we get that wrong sometimes. We think, oh, those people out there would be much nicer and much easier to love than the people that I'm forced to love. You know, but not, not true, because once they get in your circle, they're going to be just like the people that are already in your circle. They're going to be like the people that are already in your family. You know, Once they get there, you're going to get to know them. <laughs> and you're going to find out they're just as complicated and weird and dysfunctional as the people that you have inside your family and you have inside your church and you have inside your workplaces now. So you're stuck. Okay, let's move on. If we fully accept Jesus Christ this Christmas season, we will find under the tree the gift of reconciliation with other people. This deal when the family boarded the plane to Europe without Kevin, that was just an extension of the fact that he was already home alone. Feeling alone has little to do with being alone, but about being isolated. And little Kevin McAllister was isolated within his family. So, Home alone is because you're losing the blame game. The biblical word is scapegoat. Matthew 121 gives us a clue as to what Jesus came to do about scapegoating because it says she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament idea of scapegoating. But... It obviously started in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, if you will notice, when, when God went to look for Adam and Eve, and he says, where art thou? And they came out, and he said, who told you they were, you were naked? And the whole story, the first thing that, that stands out to me in that story is the painfulness for Adam and Eve to accept responsibility for what they had done. And the absolute automatic response to blame the other person. The automatic response to make someone besides himself the scapegoat for what had happened, God says to the man, why did you eat of the tree, the, the woman you gave me? And he says to the woman, why did you eat the serpent that you made? So that obviously, God was very problematic for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you ever blame God? Of course you do. We all do. We all do. God, why have you made me this way? Why did you make them this way? Why won't you fix things? So... So, you know, theologically, we've, we've preached this idea, uh, I've heard it preached all my whole life, is that God had this wrath, pent-up wrath, and the only way he could release this pent-up wrath was to put his son on the cross, and then the pent-up wrath would be released, and then God is, I feel better now, my son, I killed my son, I feel better. I believe that's false doctrine. No, it's not God who had the pent-up wrath, it's you that had the pent-up wrath. It's me that has the pent-up wrath. I needed a scapegoat. I've got, I could not bear the weight of what I had done to God. And what I had, what we as humans cannot bear the weight of our own sin, of our own dysfunction, of our own sinfulness, of our own disobedience, of our own rebellion. We can't bear it. And, and the Bible says, God hath placed on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. But social circles, families, churches, Workplaces often don't live out the redemption of Calvary, but they live out the fallen nature, which is to make somebody in the room the scapegoat. Uh, Amy Gardner writes a great article on this called, Are You the Family Scapegoat? And she p makes these points that 
that I want to just pass on to you today uh, about scapegoats. Because obviously, if you see the story, you know, you, you've all seen the story. The family was all, all in chaos. They had, they had, um, had uh, first-world chaos. I mean, they're obviously wealthy. They're in a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood, and they're all going on a European vacation. And they had first-world stress. They, 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 had, they, had, they had blessed stress. You know, the stress of blessed is what they had. And when they got stressed, they did what all people do. What we all do when we get stressed. What do we all do? We look for a scapegoat. We look for somebody to dump our, you know, do you remember the old commercial, uh, you know, Mom, we know you have a headache, but don't take it out on the children. You know, remember that commercial. So when we, when we feel stressed and we feel anxious, we look for, it's somebody's fault. And so that's what the McAllister family's done. And cute little annoying Kevin was just, it was so convenient to dump it all on him, you know? He couldn't do anything right. And so she, Amy uh, Gardner makes these points. Scapegoats feel isolated, ignored, and unnoticed. Kevin McAllister was home alone long before they boarded that plane for Europe. Scapegoats feel their accomplishments aren't celebrated. Amy Gardner says, typically in a healthy family, members feel proud of each other's achievements, but family scapegoats may find their achievements are potentially dismissed or belittled. The idea that, can be, the idea that you can be successful contradicts their theoretical, theoretical narrative of your incompetence. I just, uh, I just went to Nashville, Tennessee for a few days, uh, mainly to hang out with my brother, hang out with my brother, listen to some country music, and eat comfort food. That's the three things we did. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought a lot about my brother in, in, in our lives together. My brother's six years older than me. And uh, my brother was a lot like Buzz growing up. Buzz McAllister, if you remember the movie. And uh, uh, was pretty good at tormenting me uh, a lot. And I, I know I've told those stories before, but they're... It's, it's some great story. It could make a movie, all the stories, you know, uh, pre pretending that he wanted this uh, RC bottle, uh, which is the cola we used to drink, pretending that he wanted it and he was going to drink it all. It's, and I started begging him to please give me a drink, and, I, and he would say no, and I would scream, and he would finally give me the RC cola bottle, which was filled with cold coffee. <laughs> so that, that's just one of the many stories but then when my brother was 17 years old, I'll never forget, when I've told the story many times here, we walked to church on the south side of Assembly of God in McKinney, Texas, and we walked to church on a Sunday night. And he was, he was trying to avoid church as much as possible in those days. But something happened. The Holy Spirit got all of his heart, and he raised his hand to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And something really incredible happened to my brother that night. He started treating me completely differently. He began to celebrate me. In ways that I, it, it changed my life because of my brother changed. My brother still is like that today. Always celebrate whatever good is happening in my life, he celebrates. In fact, I started playing the keyboard and, and getting interested in piano. And I remember um, he went and bought me a keyboard. You know, and I, I didn't think anything about it at the time. Now I look back and go, wow, that was huge. So I was very fortunate. Poor Kevin, I don't think Buzz ever got saved. <laughs> 
By the way, it's really possible for everyone in an organization to be scapegoaters. It's possible for a bunch of us to do it. This happens when everybody, or at least several individuals, are blamers. I know, I know how Paul refer, I love how Paul refers to two women who weren't getting along in Philippi. And I love this scripture because Paul doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't scapegoat anybody. He says, now I appeal to Judea and Sintica in Philippians 2, 4, 2. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked with me, Clement, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. See, scapegoats are almost exclusively portrayed in a negative light. That's the last thing that I want to share that Amy Gardner said. It's one thing to hold someone responsible for what they do, and that's healthy. Uh, God, through the Holy Spirit, does this perfectly. If you want to know how to treat people in spite of their sinfulness and their brokenness, the Holy Spirit does it perfectly. And there are three things the Holy Spirit does so well. One, the Holy Spirit affirms me constantly and confronts me occasionally. Every moment and day of my life, the Holy Spirit is confirming that I am a child of God that I belong to him, that I am redeemed, that I am valuable and affirming the gifts that I have, that I am serving him with. Constantly, I feel the Holy Spirit affirming me. Occasionally, he confronts me with my sin. The Holy Spirit also, number two, convicts, but he doesn't condemn. The conviction is you did something wrong. Condemnation is you are wrong. Conviction says you did something bad. Condemnation is you are bad. The Holy Spirit never tells me I'm bad, no good. He says to me, you're unworthy, but you're not worthless. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit offers redemption and a path forward. The Holy Spirit always shows me. You know, when, when you live with someone who's scapegoating, when you live with someone who is uh, narcissistic. They never will show you how to get it right. You will never feel that you can get it right. You, 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 will, you will never have a clear path. It will always be some, there will all be, always be some call to do something that is vague and humanly impossible to do usually. But the Holy Spirit, in fact, this is, I, I, I just got a sermon thought. I'm going to preach a whole sermon about this. The simplicity of God's call to obedience. If you read the scripture, when God asks people to do stuff, it's always the simplest thing in the world. It's go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from high. It's not walk on glass for 20 miles until you're worthy of the Holy Spirit following you. Just go to Jerusalem. And all through the scriptures, there's these little simple things. Take this take this bread and this fish and start distributing it. I mean, it's just always some simple thing that God asks us to do. And, of course, we're, we're stubborn and we're ridiculous and we want to do the simple things, you know. Read your Bible. Oh, that's really hard. That's harsh. Read your Bible. <laughs> you know, you should pray more. That's really, that's really cruel of a God who's saying, I want you to pray more. Or be kind to your neighbor. Oh, that's, that's ridiculous. How could he put such a burden on us? <laughs> Hey, everybody say it. God is good. And it, yeah, I thought someone was going to say all the time. I love that. Yeah, we used to do that all the time. 
all the time. God is good all the time. Hugh Corey was superintendent of the Southern Hill Ministry Network when I first came up here years ago. And Hugh Corey was just a gracious man. And, and he, I had some conversations with him, kind of like this, but, but some people who got in really big trouble would have a conversation like this with Hugh Corey. You go into his office, and he's this humble man, and he would sit at his desk, and he would cover his face with his hands and go, you're a bigger man than that. Or he would say, you're a better person than that. That's what the Holy Spirit does when I mess up, when I make a mistake. You're better than that. So, home alone. It's not because you're home alone. It's because you're isolated from intimacy with the people around you. I hope that's not your situation. But if it is, I want to show you there's hope. And I want to show you that God has a way for you to go forward. Okay? Do you believe me? A couple people believe me. <laughs> the rest of you are skeptics. <laughs> He's never going to get us out of this. We are obligated to transform our lives from home alone to unstoppable together. That's our obligation. Matthew Doan writes, and I love this quote, it's in, the, it's, in the, it's in the app notes, because kind of the first time you hear it, you may, not, you may not put it all together, so I want you to go home and read it again. We rarely get to experience Aristotle's maxim, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and that hurts. We all face this, and whatever organization we take part in, we know we aren't nearly reaching our full potential, and that gap is torturous for the human mind. We viscerally, viscerally feel the waste at play. Boy, I, I, I love that quote because that is, I love it from the standpoint it captures what we often feel. We often feel, think of what our family could be if we would be together, if we would love each other completely. Think of what we, think of what our church could do if we were in unity, if we were in harmony, if we really were all pulling in the same direction and we were all capturing the same vision and all wanting the same thing, unfortunately, our sin nature has pulled us apart and we play these, we play these games of, of, of positioning ourselves in the, the hierarchy and where we want to be in the hierarchy. We play these competitive games. As The psychologist years ago wrote the book, The Games People Play. That's what it's all about. But we have to push back on it. And we have to try to do something. In fact, there's a great uh, illustration of this in the Bible. I've never heard it preached on or talked about, really. Um, I don't know if I'm just so brilliant that I get it and nobody else does. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that's true. Do you think that's true? <laughs> but, but it's where, where in the Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, the uh, uh, people in the earth were all one. And they said they were going to build a, a tower, the Tower of Babel, up to heaven. And, and they really weren't going, going, trying to go into the atmosphere, uh, out of the Earth's atmosphere. But, but it was obviously a, a situation where they were going to build a governance where man would be totally in charge of his own fate and they wouldn't be dependent on a higher power. And God looked down at them. And, you know, that's where God went and confused their languages so they couldn't understand each other and they had to separate and all the different races began to form and all of that. But God looked down and this made this remarkable statement. He said, if we don't go and confuse their languages, if we don't, if we don't divide them, 
There's nothing they won't be able to accomplish. And every time I read that, I think that's what the devil is saying when he looks at the family, the church, your, your company. He says, if they get unified, if I don't keep them divided through bickering and arguing and, and, and fighting for position and trying to be heard and trying to have a voice and this, that, and all that stuff that goes on. If I don't divide them, there's nothing they won't be able to do. Imagine what your family could be if everybody was in unity. Imagine what this church could be if we were all pulling in the same direction. If we all wanted the success in the same way, you wouldn't be able to... I mean, it's just... I don't think we'll ever reach it completely, but let's just get better. How about that? How about, how about if we just try to get 10% better, okay? How about if we get 10% better at being in harmony and being at unity and loving each other and going in the same direction? There are five simple ways to go from home alone to unstoppable together. And it, this, it'll, it'll be in your notes in the app, I believe. None, number one, by noticing people. I love the place where Jesus goes down to the pool of Bethesda and, or Bethsaida and he sees a man there. And I look at, listen to what Jesus said. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? What stood out, stands out to me there is Jesus noticed that he had been there a long time. Jesus had gone there day after day and he kept noticing this one guy. Jesus was a noticer big time. Secondly, we go from being home alone to unstoppable together by celebrating people. Jesus says to Peter one day, after Peter had said, um, Peter had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He goes, High five, Peter. You are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Peter, you just nailed it. I love it. So Jesus was a celebrator, not a diminisher. He was a multiplier, not a diminisher. Thirdly, by including people. Matthew 16, 17. Mark 16, 17 is one of my favorite verses of all times. He appointed the twelve that he might be with them. Boom. Mic drop. Full stop. He chose the twelve that he might be with them. Do you ever choose people just so you can be with them? <laughs> that, is, um, that is counterintuitive to human nature. We choose people so we can use them for some reason. How would you like to be loved? People just chose you so they could be with you. Well, how would you like to be a kind of person who does that? Who just chooses people so you can be with them? We have a loneliness epidemic in America, even though you will meet more people in you'll meet more people in one year than your in your family than your ancestors, I meant to say, will meet in a lifetime. But we have a loneliness epidemic. Not because we don't have enough people or not because we're not close enough physically to people, but because we don't value one another the way we should. Fourthly, we go from being home alone to being, to being um, better to, uh, or powerful together by challenging people. Challenging is not nagging and putting down. It's challenging. Matthew 18, 15, if, if another believer sins, go to him privately and point out to them their offense. And, and I love the, the way the rest of that reads. It says, if they hear you, you've won your brother. You're not, you're not trying to beat your brother. You're not trying to win over your brother. You're trying to win your brother. 
Because if your brother is sinning against you, your sister is sinning against you, they're obviously pulling away from you, so you want to get them back. That's a great thought. Finally, we, we can go from being home alone to unstoppable to get together by forgiving people. It's just simple. Matthew 7, 25, when you stand praying, forgive you if you have anything against anyone. Finally, I would say this today. We don't have to just stay home alone. Someone is waiting for us to solve their loneliness problem. The way out, if you happen to be Kevin McAllister today, and I'm, I think we probably all are, have those feelings sometimes, the way out of being diminished is not to become a diminisher yourself, but to be a multiplier. We're going to see that in a minute, where Kevin demonstrates what you do when you're home alone, what you do with that. I mean, besides the fun he had with the bungling burglars and all of that stuff, which was great stuff. That's awesome. And, 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 and there's something in that, too. And See, I told you, and you laughed, that there are biblical principles in the story. You, you, you thought I was just trying to be humorous, but I'm serious. The story has... See, the human, humans can't help themselves. They affirm God's way even when they don't mean to. They're just trying to make money. They're not trying to teach us anything about how to live our lives better, but they do it anyway. Even the superhero stories. Star, Star Wars is an incredible story of salvation and redemption. They can't help themselves because it's woven into the fabric of reality. The principles of God's power and God's salvation, it's woven into the very, very fabric of nature. <laughs> the, the, Romans 1 says, doesn't nature itself teach you? <laughs> It's, it's the coolest thing in the world. I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. But it, So if you're isolated, alone, or diminished, or diminished don't, re, don't rehearse it. Don't nurse it. Don't curse it. And you'll watch God reverse it. <laughs> Romans 12.10. This is very important. Because as human beings, we, we jockey for position in relationships. That's what creates most of our stress with people. It's we're, we're struggling for where we get to be in the hierarchy of a relationship. Human beings, you, you can try to get rid of all structure if you want to, but you will never get rid of it. You put a bunch of three-year-olds in the nursery and watch them, and they will establish who's, who's the boss and who's the pleasers and who's the, all the different stuff. You know what I'm talking about, Lisa. You know what I'm talking about. You, you teach public school, so you must watch it every day in the classroom they, they figure out who's, who's, who's the cool one, who needs to tell everybody what to do, and who's going to... Yeah, it, it's, it's human nature. Well, it's pretty painful when you feel like you're on the bottom of the hierarchy. And a lot of evil is done, and I know there's a lot of evil done at the top. People, have, people say, authority, you know, power corrupts. No, it doesn't. Everything corrupts. Sin corrupts. We're corrupt no matter where we are in the hierarchy. We're all corrupt by, because of our sin nature. But when you, get, when you feel like you're not on the top, it can feel pretty lonely and pretty, pretty frustrating. But if you know the Word of God, you know the way out is not to become like the people you feel hurt at. That's the worst strategy available 
is to become the evil that you hate and to become the evil that you despise. That's why Solzhenitsyn was so brilliant when he said the, the line of good and evil it goes through the human heart. But anyway, I, I digress. Let's go back to the sermon. Romans 12.10. You can, you can do Romans 12.10 if you're on the top of the hierarchy or you're on the bottom. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Obviously, Kevin McAllister wasn't always lovable. He got into stuff. He could be annoying, but he didn't seem to have a lot of self-pity. He seemed to have very little self-pity, and this is one thing that made it work. He met every challenge head-on from the from the burglars to grocery shopping trips. What I really like about this kid is that he didn't seem to spend a whole lot of time thinking about how everybody else needed to change or how they owed him an apology. In fact, he did what a lot of you are doing right now. He took his lonely self to church. And as he's sitting, listening to a beautiful choir, the scary man that his older brother had convinced him was a serial killer in the neighborhood came over and initiated a conversation with him, and Kevin demonstrated what a lot of you have figured out. Church is a good place to go when you're feeling bad about yourself. And when you start trying to help someone else solve their problems, you find the answer to solving your own problems. In fact, let's watch that scene. That I love. I love this scene. Let's watch this scene, and see if we can learn a little bit more. my granddaughter up there, the little red-haired girl. She's about your age. 
You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love him. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them, and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome to church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. We haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is, you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it. And he won't have to be afraid anymore. Well, right after this, the McAllister family all gets back to that Chicago suburb. And... Um, you, know, you remember the scene, his mother comes in, and then the whole family comes in. And, and they didn't all exactly fall on their face and ask forgiveness or anything. And uh, I think that's important, because sometimes we think, oh, if, if we're going to have this harmony you're talking about, everybody's got to get fixed, and everybody's got to admit what they did. And uh, You're going to get old waiting on that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't wait on that. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Because God only needs to change you. God only needs to change you. And you are the one who's going to grow in grace. And you're going to grow in grace. And you're not going to feel alone anymore. Because you're going to be able to love people who are imperfect. Just like you are imperfect. 
I love uh, Eugene Peterson, the writer of the Message Bible, the late Eugene Peterson, who's one of my just people that I admire the most in the world. And uh, he wrote a stinging rebuke of pastors before he died, kind of rebuking us for our, he called us shopkeepers, who were, you know, trying to steal each other's church members and grow our churches at all it cost. And not really, he was big on pastors need to pastor their people, you know. But I'm not going to read that part of it to you, but I want to read the last part of it to you. Because I think it's really important to this point of beginning to love one another as Christ loved us. He said, the biblical fact is there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and is given a designated responsibility in the community. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. It is this responsibility that is being abandoned in spades. What could happen? What could happen if we'd commit ourselves to being better together? Kevin went home, took responsibility, cleaned the house, except for Buzz's room. <laughs> you can't be perfect. <laughs> he made the house beautiful. He helped an old man. In fact, let's watch the closing scene. I love this closing scene with the old man and his son. challenge in this message is to get better at loving the people you love. However, if you're feeling like the one that's not being loved at home alone, I suspect we all do at times, by the way. You're not stuck. You don't have to be a victim. Jesus didn't come to the world to immediately fix all the problems in the world. Jesus came to show us how to navigate. Jesus came to show us the way forward. That's what he did. When you're stuck on who has to be there for you and who has to apologize to you, and you're not going to get anywhere like that. Kevin McAllister went to church, heard the music, blessed an elderly gentleman with some good advice, never acted like a, like a victim, but actually bore the sins of his family. That's the Jesus way. And how Jesus, that's how Jesus saved the world. May I invite you follow Jesus in fact 
Many of you have already made that decision, but maybe you've drifted away from the principles of Jesus, of actually living like Jesus. Because that's all we should be all trying to do. And maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never made that first step in becoming a follower of Jesus. It's not become your identity. See, for the, a lot of us, it's become our identity. That doesn't mean we do it well all the time, but that's, that's our identity and that's important. But maybe you haven't embraced that identity yet. And I want to pray a special prayer for you and with you. You can pray it loud, loud or you can pray it quietly in your heart. And this is the way we all became followers of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son to show us the way. The way to be um, well, the, way to, the way to do well in a wicked world. The way to go forward and bring redemption when pain and heartache and sorrow are all around us. So Father, I receive your Son Jesus as my personal Savior and my Lord. And to the best of my ability, I will follow Him and I will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that you will put within me when I get off track, to get me back on track. And God, I pray that you would deliver us from being alone and that you would be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Jesus' name.